Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 205 and this episode is with first team performance coach at Port Vale, Paul McGrath. Paul came on and we discussed his approach to S&C. We spoke about how he takes advantage of windows of opportunity throughout a season. We talked about goalkeeper specific S&C as well and how he adapts his approach with goalkeepers. We talked about dealing with long-term injuries, also developing relationships and also testing and what gets done with the data at the club as well. So loads of topics covered in this one, loads of great information to come from Paul. So I hope you enjoy the episode. As this podcast goes out, um, our networking event at Celtic is this evening. Um, we have sold this event out. It's one of the first events we've sold out, so that's great. It's great to see the support from everyone on this event, so I really appreciate it. I hope to have another event confirmed up in Scotland very soon. And just a date for your diary, I mentioned it in the previous episode, Thursday the 27th of October. We will be releasing extra information on this event, but we have got an event that is close to being confirmed in the Midlands area We'll be bringing you all that information very soon. Some really, really exciting speakers. One speaker is actually probably someone that is is in the top two most re- requested guests of the podcast and speakers at our event. So I'm absolutely delighted to have them speaking at the event and delighted to um, and excited even to be announcing that information very soon to you all. So just keep an eye out for that. Uh, and we will also have other events to come for the rest of the year as well. I'm going to keep this intro short and sharp this week because I want to get into the episode with Paul. So just before I do, a huge thank you to our sponsors, Rezzle, and enjoy episode 205. Rezzle is the world's number one virtual reality sports trainer. Whatever your team, your sport, your ability, improve your game and train like a pro. Reactions, performance, accuracy, stamina, resilience. Train at home in the Rezzel Sports and Fitness VR Training Arena. Search Rezzel, R-E-Z-Z-I-L. The world's number one virtual reality sports trainer. Available now on MetaQuest. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 205 and I'm delighted to be joined by first team performance coach at Port Vale, Paul McGrath. Paul, how are we? Hi Ben, all good, thanks. How are you? I'm good, mate. I'm good. I'm keen to catch up. It's been a little while since we've uh, caught probably Oxford, is it? Yeah, Oxford event. Yeah, yeah. Very good event at Oxford. Really enjoyed that. Um, Really? Looking forward to it. Yeah, that'd be good, mate. We've got loads of stuff to cover, so I want to jump into it, but... Kick us off, mate. Your background. Where have you been? What's led to Port Vale? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so originally from Dublin, uh, Dublin and Ireland, and probably had a little bit of a different route into, into S&C, sports science, um, than a lot of people. So I started off in teaching. Um, so I went and studied PE and maths teaching in Dublin City University. Um, so that was a four-year degree. And, and whilst I was doing that, probably realised, like a lot of people, you know, wasn't going to make it as a footballer, wasn't good enough. So you know, got my teeth into the coaching side of things pretty early. I was probably 15, 16, 17, started coaching my brother's team and just really got the love for sort of, you know, helping people develop, helping people coach. And it, there was a lot of sort of similar um, similarities between that and teaching for me at the time. So, you know, really got into coaching um, and then started, you know, thinking about doing my badges. So done the equivalent of the FA Level 1 and 2 in Ireland, 
um, and then moved to a semi-professional team, Bohemian FC in Dublin as well, and then moved on and done my B licence. So was still kind of working away at, at the teaching degree at the time, was coaching um, at Bohemians. That was a, a really good experience, spent, spent five years there. And it was probably during that time that I realised, you know, my interest really in the performance side of things, S&C, sports science, and really, you know, started kind of questioning things as to, you know, how, what we do during the week, how that has an impact on what you, you know, what you see on a Saturday, how we can develop players further. So I was working with a lot of different age groups at, at Bowes, um, right from 15s, 13s, you know, all the way up to, to under 17s, 19s, um, which would then progress on into the first team. So that was a really good experience. And probably then in the back of my mind, I was kind of questioning whether, you know, I, I really sort of want to still go down the teaching route. So I took a year out um, at university after, after two years and I done a, a PT qualification with Stanton College and then further to that done a strength conditioning qualification with them. So they were absolutely excellent in terms of, you know, the resources. It was all online, which suited me. I was I was kind of working at the time doing a bit of a substitute teaching um, and I done an internship up in Queen's University, Belfast as well. So I kind of throughout that year, I just wanted to, to throw myself into S&C and, and personal training and sort of, you know, got a feel for whether it was for me or not before then going back to my degree. So, you know, really enjoyed it. Met some, met some great people um, and then went back to finish my degree. So kind of when I fin- when I was going back to finish my degree, I kind of had in the back of my head that once I had finished, I then wanted to try and move into professional sport in, in some way or another. But obviously, you know, in Ireland, there's, there's less opportunities or less um, clubs as such football-wise anyway um, in Ireland to go into a full-time setup. So was kind of keen to potentially go abroad to, to the UK, which 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 it happened um, and do a master's. So, so was lucky enough to um, get the opportunity at Lincoln City um, with the director of football there. And, and I was really, really lucky to, to get an opportunity to go in there as a sports scientist working with the academy and then the first team as well. So that was in conjunction conjunction to the master's I was studying at the University of Lincoln, um, which is master's in sports science. Um, and, you know, it was... It was a full-on year, you know, there was probably no breathing space, no time for me to, to do anything else other than study or, you know, coach or do football. But it was it was absolutely brilliant, you know. It was, COVID at the time was was obviously, you know, was 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 heavy around the world. And it, it was probably just the right time for me to do it because I felt that if there had been too many distractions out there, you know, social life, anything like that, it's just I wouldn't have had the time to, to sort of concentrate on my, on, on my master's and, and the work at Lincoln. So that was absolutely brilliant. Um, and it was probably, that was the, probably the biggest step so far in my comfort zone that, you know, I was working at a club for, for five years um, in Ireland. I kind of got comfortable with the routines of set up um, and, and everything about it really and then just to jump to a different club different country you know away from my family um, but yeah it was something you know really really enjoyed the staff there absolutely amazing um, and, and had you know really good time there still in contact with, with a lot of the staff there and built up a really sort of good good network of, um, of friends there really you know they were great so then from from Lincoln City again I was keen to kind of develop myself as a practitioner and Probably something that I've tried to always do um, in the last couple of years anyway is sort of look at look at myself and say, right, what do I actually need to develop on? What do I need to develop? What do I need to to work on, you know, as a practitioner myself? And I, I felt that probably on the SNC side of things, you know, pitch-based content, you know, I felt because of my coaching background and, and coming from a, a you know, coaching background essentially into SNC, I felt I was I was, you know, fairly confident on that side of things. But managing 
um, interns it was at the time at, at Lincoln City I felt that was definitely an area for me to develop on and that's what the opportunity came up to move to Portsmouth um, leading the Academy S&C provision um, and it was one from you know from speaking to the Academy manager and um, just getting the vision for the Academy and, and the sort of fear for the place you know it was one, one that I jumped at um, and, and yeah that was that was a great experience and um, working with a great group of players great group of coaches um, and again, you know, still in touch touch at the moment. Um, but yeah, that, that was a great experience, sort of leading the provision and, and probably doing stuff that I wouldn't be as au okay fait with in terms of like, you know, managing managing department budgets, uh, department meetings, multidisciplinary meetings, you know, academy manager meetings, all that sort of stuff that people probably don't see see as much of and, and sort of getting the vision for the, the sports science um, departments, you know, how we move it forward, how we sort of develop players within the academy. Um, to to move the club on, so that that was a really, um, really good time. I spent the season there, and then an opportunity came up this summer, um, to move to Port Vale as a as a first team performance coach, and that was one that you know from speaking to the club, speaking to the director of football, and um, to speaking to the manager, you know, it was one straight away that I could see the interest they had in developing the club. You know, the club recently got promoted. Um, the back end of the last season and, and there was a real good vibe around the place you know everyone really really friendly and not just you know in terms of the, the whole context of the club but for me it was the, their interest in developing the sports science department and performance department you know medical sports science everything around sort of the, the team around the team as such um, so, so that's something that really appealed to me um, and got the backing straight away as soon as as soon as it came in and with a couple of staff, there's been a couple of changes um, at the club, and you know we've we've really got the back end to sort of develop what we feel is is best practice and, and and move this club forward. So yeah, I've been been really enjoying it here ever since. Mate, quality. There's a couple of things that stand out for me. Firstly, some of that we spoke about a lot recently is like you knowing your values and sort of question opportunities that are out there and making sure it sort of fits at the right mm. time for you. And that's obviously something you've took into consideration a lot in, in the, the moves that you've gone through. And then the other thing, which you wouldn't actually know, because I've only just literally released it just as we started recording them, okay. but in the previous episode with Dave O'Sullivan, um, a physio, um, he spoke about CPD and splitting your CPD up into different attributes of a practitioner Mm -hmm. and then focusing on the areas that you need them to work on. So rather than us always going to CPD events or working on things that we're generally just good at anyway, yeah, actually noticing where we need to work, and that's exactly what you've covered. So it, it was really interesting I think you mentioned it's, it. It's, yes, I don't think it's easier. I think it's probably something that you know everyone should really do because – at the end of the day, you're, you're still always developing. Like I look at myself now and I kind of say, geez, there's so much I really don't know. You know, I need to go back to university. It's just like, you're always developing. I think every day is, is a learning day. I know it's a cliche, but I think looking at yourself and saying, right, what, what are my, what are my strengths? You know, and, and you always want to develop your strengths. That's, that's obviously really important because that, that that's what make you, makes you stand out. But I think, you know, having that critical eye and saying, right, what, what do I actually need to improve on and how can those around me or my environment help me? You know, and that's something that I've been really fortunate to have at this moment, like the, the medical stuff. For me, I think at the, at this moment in time, you know, probably the medical side of things is something that I, I need to improve on myself. I need to develop my knowledge in that area. And, and the staff have been absolutely brilliant with me with that, you know, sort of 
explaining their understanding, you know, around certain things and especially the rehabilitation side of things, which I'd, I'd be heavily involved in as well. So, you know, that's that's been great at the club. Yeah, brilliant. No, that, that really stands out. And it's um, it's great to hear you talking like that because I think that practice in itself of actually like reflecting on things and maybe even writing down strengths, weaknesses and getting feedback from other people is really important, isn't it? Because then yeah, sure. what you read, what you study and things can be guided by that then, can't they? Yeah, for sure, for sure. And and again, it's a sort of like, you know, I think it's an appraisal sort of format. I think like a lot of people shy away from appraisals or kind of say, oh no, I don't want to say anything, anything bad about this person. You know, they might take it in the wrong way, but I think there's a, there's a way of sort of saying things that can be used in a sort of a positive, constructive manner um, to, yeah. to help the person. Cause you know, I think that's the sort of mindset that everyone should have. You know, you're getting feedback from someone, you know, if they, if they didn't really care about you or your development, they wouldn't be giving you that feedback or that sort of, you know, information to then improve your practice. So I think you should always be taken in a positive way. Yeah, brilliant. Paul, how would you um, sort of define your approach in terms of S&C? I know that's quite a big question. You could probably go down a lot of different pathways with it, but overall, how would you sort of define, define your approach? Yeah, I think for me, I would see myself, you know, I know strength and conditioning, a lot of people say, you know, it's sports science related, you're kind of, you know, data ways and stuff like that. I'm, I'm certainly not. I would see myself as a, as a coach and, you know, as a person that, you know, wants to get to know people, wants to build relationships with people. And I think having the person at the, at the centre of things is absolutely critical. I think that's that's pivotal to, to anyone working, you know, in sport because at the end of the day, it's about the people. Um, and, yeah, I would always try and have the, the person at the forefront of everything we do. Um I think like, you know, taking a step back and realizing, right, in the grand scheme of things, you know, as a backroom staff, your role isn't in the limelight. You know, you're not the one that's 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 on the pitch playing playing football. The players are the most important. And and the time, especially, you know, at a first team level in the in the EFL, it's so, so precious. You know, you have so many fixtures, Tuesday, Saturday, you know, you, you don't have much time on the grass. So I think something I've always tried to do and, and that's why I was keen to sort of continue with my coaching badges is to be able to work collaboratively with the coaches, you know, so be that in the morning meetings and um, discussing, you know, pitch sizes, you know, type of areas we're going to use, whether it's working on XLD cells. And again, you know, the sort of language we use, you know, they're going to say, all right, we're working in small side of games, say we're working in large side of games, medium size, whatever. But in the back of your mind, I'm kind of thinking from a physical point of view, right, that's going to hit my XLD cells that I'm looking for. That's going to hit my maximum velocity meterage per minute, whatever it is on a certain day. So I think working smarter, not harder in that sort of way with the coaches and sort of the planning element is probably something that, you know, I think is really, really important because if we can come together as a whole and sort of say, right, we have a session here today that's going to take, you know, the technical outcomes that we're looking for, the tactical outcomes, you know, the physical, you know, and potentially maybe some of the mental outcomes or, you know, so I think that's that's really the challenge that coaches have every day is, is hitting the four corners as such. Um, yeah, I think there's definitely going to be times where, you know, you have to do stuff in isolation and, and that's where like top-up sessions and, and that's where I kind of say, right, you know, I've, 10, 15 minutes of a warm-up today, maybe they've done a little bit less of, of something the previous day or whatever it might be, can I top them up in that area today without kind of being of the detriment of, of the whole session? Um, so, th- yeah, I, th- I think collaboration is key and, and probably understanding what the manager and the coaching staff want, what's the style of play, you know, is it what we're a high-pressing team that, you know, ultimately as 
performance staff, we need to prepare the players to be able to play that style of play. Um, you know, and, and just kind of all being on the same hymn sheet because I think, you know, we, we probably as as performance staff spend the most time with the players, you know, and, and they come to us first thing in the morning, you know, either in the physio room, in the gym, well, what's the plan for today? What's, you know, what are we doing? What they, you know, they're curious as, as you would expect them to be, you know, and, and I think it's probably a bit remiss of us if we don't have the answers then, right, you're doing this, this and this. And again, you know, the things do come up and, and there will be days where there's last minute changes and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, having that plan in place and everyone being on the same, same hymn sheet, I think is crucial. Yeah, definitely. What um, what I wanted to ask Paul as well is the teaching background and the experience that you have with teaching. How does that sort of work in in your current role now? Do you see any sort of crossovers? Yeah, I, I definitely think there's 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 crossover and similarities in terms of how you deal with people, how you kind of get your information across. And I, I think that, that for me, I, I think is probably the the toughest skill is is how you sort of. Yeah, how you manage individuals because you're dealing with a squad of 25, 26, you know, however might, however high it might be numbers wise, and and everyone's different in their own little way, and and I think it's that's a skill in itself, and probably looking back, you know, I'm at um at my teaching degree, and I'm kind of saying right, maybe I should have done a sports science degree, but I think like maybe something that's missing from a lot of the sports science degrees out there is actually the teaching element. You know, you're, you're going into a, an environment potentially after we're going to have to coach, you know, and, and I know there's, there's, um, there's work placements and, and everything like that, but I think actually the, the transfer of information from you to, to the athlete is absolutely crucial. And, and sometimes it's, you know, you kind of my fear, right? I've, I know so much. I've learned so much at uni. I need to, you know, let them know I know everything. But sometimes just being a little bit smart, I think, with the the information we tell them and and sort of, you know, telling them the information that that we want them to hear or that they need to hear at a certain moment in time, and that's kind of getting that balance really. Yeah, that's it's really interesting. It like you say, it's that's where the real key. Um, relationship and that trust comes from when you can actually speak the language that someone understands like we're not yeah. we, we don't want to be out there to be using loads of scientific terms and confusing people do we like and, and that's where that communication comes I, I think it's I think it's probably important as well for us as you know we're, we're working in a football environment and although footballers that come into the environment that you know they love being here every day and stuff like that but the like that profession won't last forever and it's kind of like right well what 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 happens afterwards so i think we would be we would be doing a, them a disservice if we don't sort of educate them along the way and i think yeah. like we we spend so much time with, with players every single day and i think you know every single day they should come out with a nugget you know a bit of information to sort of say right god i learned this today i'm not saying you're, you're going to bring the, the players you know into a, a classroom and start teaching them sort of lessons every day but i think you know you know, there's not more than I'd love to see in a couple of years' time. See someone a coach previously and say, "God, they're still active in the gym. They're, you know, they're keeping fit. They're still playing football." And it's just, I think that's what we need to be kind of mindful of as well. Is that you know we're potentially educating these players as well, especially especially working in academies, and, that, and that's what I found at Portsmouth and Lincoln was that you know players are sponges. They taking all the information you give them, and you know ultimately you're you're there educating them every day on the pitch and in the gym, and you know you're their you're their teacher as such. Yeah, brilliant. With this crazy schedule, Paul, the I like you've mentioned the sort of time that you're spending with players, especially this season. I imagine yeah. is is pretty limited. 
So maximizing windows of opportunity becomes really important, doesn't it? But 100%. how do you go about that practically? How does that look throughout a week or even a month for the season? Yeah, I think you probably have to look at every single point of contact you have with the players and say, right, you know, pre-activation sessions is one, you, you know, that's fairly sort of regular every day, your warm-ups, um, top-up sessions after games and, and say like, you know, on a Saturday to Saturday week, there's there's more sort of room for for getting in, um, you know, working to players and sort of developing fitness and 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 what and so what. But I think you know, especially on the two game weeks, being a little bit smarter on on the sort of session planning side of things to sort of incorporate, you know, for example, speed work, whether it's you know your the coach wants to work on a transition drill, whether it's runs in behind the court, say, well, you know, God, I'm actually looking to try and get some belt of speed work into the players this week. You know, that's where I'm going to link in with the coach and say, right, can we, can we work together to design this drill to sort of, you know, marry the two together. But I think like, you know, if you look at the sort of, um, the sort of regularities throughout the week, like your pre-activation sessions, your warm-ups, that's, that's every day, you know, without fail. Now, you know, that's not to say every warm-up's the same and a one-game week is going to be the same as a two-game week, but I think we have a lot of contact time with the players without us kind of realising that. And it's, you know, it's easy for us to complain and say, oh God, we don't, you know, have enough time and all that. But I think micro-dosing work into players throughout the week is, is, is key. You know, your activation sessions, can we include some plyometrics maybe, you know, back end, as a, as a sort of potentiation um, on certain days and, and even in warm-ups can we you know have them progressive can we you know work on skills can we work on athletic qualities that can then transfer you know into what they're going to do in the session and, and sort of develop the sort of athleticism that way um, so yeah I'll, I'll kind of look at sort of the, the windows throughout the week and say you know is there sort of chance to microdose some work into players um, either in warm-ups or pre-activation sessions do you do anything around um, game day as well, Paul, like in terms of post-game for players that have had lower minutes or whatever? Yeah, 100%. And that's one way definitely like the art of the skill of, you know, relationships comes in to, yeah. you know, no doubt. And it's obviously easy after win and, you know, you're the worst person in the world after defeat. But, you know, we're, we're, we're lucky that the, the buy-in has been great. And I think trying to keep that as a positive you know, moving forward that, you know, when the players finish the game, they, you know, they expect to go out, you know, they expect to sort of go out and, and do a tough session post, post-match post if they haven't played enough minutes because they understand the benefits to it. You know, they yeah. understand that, right, I want to be at the level because next week I want to be, you know, physically able to play in the starting 11. Um, you know, and, and we've even had players to say, right, can I go out and do a little bit more? You know, I, I you know, can I, I just feel I didn't do enough in the game. And that's obviously, you know, managed and monitored through the GPS and live data. But, you know, I think creating a sort of a positive, <laughs> as much as it's not a positive environment, but trying to create a positive spin on it to sort of say, right, well, you know, I, as much as I don't want to be out here, you know, in the lash and rain, you know, post game on, on a wet Tuesday night, you know, I'm doing this for your benefit and I'm yeah. doing it because I, I care about your development. Um, so like we, we have some lads that are, say come back from injury and they would say if they don't play you know as, as many minutes as as they potentially um, as they potentially would like we would bring them into the gym and they do their post post um, post conditioning work in the gym strength work to sort of keep building um, them strength levels you know that we need to work on and I think just sort of creating that buy-in from the players is, is absolutely crucial with that but yeah definitely post game to sort of you know because I think if we look at look at the week as a whole, that's that's your major bout of of exercise or load is, is the game day. So 
you know, obviously the players who play are going to are going to get that naturally, but it's how we make up that that ground with with the other players. So even even one we've we've started doing recently is is like goalkeeper specific conditioning because that's something that I'll probably probably talk about a bit later on. But it's such a niche position that you know they have to be treated differently to the outfielders. You know, there's really no well. You know, I don't see the point in goalkeepers going out and doing box to boxes. They're never going to cover that much high speed in the game. So, you know, why would they do it? Yeah, fair enough. You know, it, it's conditioning, but make it specific to the position and the individual. Um, so I think showing the players that you actually have that level of interest and that care, you know, kind of creates that or helps that buy in. And with that, was that already preset at the club in terms of the game day stuff, or was that something? I know the runs probably were, but in terms of any sort of strength stuff that you might do, anything like that, or is that something that you brought in? Yeah, no, I think it's it, it was yeah, it was there when we when we came in, um, and you know the buying was good. I, I think yeah. the strength stuff it can be, you know, when we're at home and we have access to a gym, you know, it's great. We can go in and use our own facilities. Now we we've had access to say the K box, which is great. It's easily you know transferred and things like that. And and to be honest with you, we've gone to a couple of places this season where the opposition team have have happily said, you know, come in and use our gym with us, you know. And I think that's something that, you know, maybe some teams don't like to do with, with rivals and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, we're all here to help each other. And I think, you know, it's it's great to see that that clubs are, some clubs are doing that. Um, but yeah, you know, fortunately enough, the, the buy-in was was there with the players and, you know, everyone towards sort of post-match conditioning when, when I came in. So, you know, it was a, a win-win. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. So just back to the goalkeeper conditioning, that's an interesting area. Yeah. It's obviously very niche, Um Something we've actually got on the community is a, is a webinar from Luke Oldham about the, how he sort of amends his approach with keepers. Mm-hmm. So it's really interesting and probably something that's not spoke about that much. Mm. So what's your, what's your approach with them in terms of how does it differ to outfield players? Yeah, yeah, sure. I think like if you look at the demands of the position, um, very much power base, very much sort of short, sharp movements, um, a lot of folks on lateral movements, concentric muscle actions, um, so we would try and focus or have that as our focus in their gym sessions, their pre-activation sessions. Um, and, you know, if we look at sort of pre-activation as a whole, it's mainly based on lower limb sort of, you know, muscle activation. Whereas, you know, goalkeeper goes out and next thing he is to dive in the corner, catch a ball and um, that's, you know, overhead. So I think overhead work is obviously really, really important for goalkeepers, you know, increasing the range of motion, overhead stability. Um, and definitely reactions as well. So that's something that I've worked closely with the, the goalkeeping coach here to sort of devise a plan, a periodized plan across the week as to what each activation session looks like and how we can sort of build on it from week to week. Um, and also the gym sessions as well. So whether it's a one game week, two game week, how they sort of differ. Um, but also then, you know, you're, you're improving the sort of qualities, you know, week on week. But yeah, definitely, I think it's it's such a sort of unique position. Um, and they're often forgotten about like goalkeepers tend to always well often go out you know earlier than than the outfielders so they often miss the pre-activation session they often just go straight out do work the goalkeeping coach come in they might stay a little bit later so they might miss the gym session I think they're sometimes just forgotten about you know because there's only one or two of them that you just forget but like you, you kind of do need to realise that they're the players that probably play the most minutes throughout the season especially if you have a number one that's consistently you know in the team throughout the season and then on you know, on the back, on the flip side, you have a number two that maybe doesn't play as many minutes, doesn't play, you know, near as much minutes as anyone else in the squad. How do you sort of manage his workload? How does his workload, conditioning work look 
in comparison to everyone else. So I think it's it's a really important area to sort of manage manage the load as well with, with them guys. There's a lot of different demands on the body, isn't there? Because when play, especially the, and this is where I suppose um, game models come into it. Because if a keeper's doing a lot of kicking, um, and and it, it is a lot of stress, isn't it? Just in a different way. Yeah, hundred percent, and that's something that you know we constantly need to be mindful of. You know, in the in the conversations with players, you know, and sort of having that sort of relationship with the player that they can come to you on a certain day. Listen, Paul, I'm, I'm actually feeling, you know, my legs are really, really tight. It's game day minus two. You know, I'm I, I just don't feel I can do this full gym session. Right, that's fine. We'll tailor it towards towards what, what what you can do. And and then on another day, God, yeah, I'm actually feeling really fresh today. Can we, you know, maybe push the boundaries a little bit more? Mm. Um, but again, I think that comes back to sort of knowing the individual and knowing sort of his or her capabilities and sort of boundaries and when to sort of push and when to to pull back a little. I've only just had a conversation with a one of our community members and also someone that has been to one of our networking events recently. And they've reached out to say that the contacts they made at one of our events and through our communities actually led to them landing a job in academy football. It's not the first time it's happened. We've had plenty of opportunities like this that have been developed and relationships have been created. And it's one of the many reasons to get involved at our networking events, but also on our online community where you can connect with a number of practitioners right across the football world from numerous countries, numerous leagues, numerous levels, all in one place. So if you're not already a member of our online community, go to footballfitfed.com, click the community tab, sign yourself up there. You get one month free. You can see what it's all about. You can access some brilliant presentations and webinars. After that free month, it's only £4.99 per month going forward. You'll get continued access to everything that's on there, including all the presentations and webinars we've got to come, especially from our um, event up at Celtic, if, you're not, if you weren't able to make that one. So go and check it out, footballfitfed.com. Click the community tab, sign up there, and join our ever-growing community of practitioners. Here's part two of the podcast with Paul McGrath. And with the gym work, what are some of the main differences you think to outfield? Yeah, I think definitely a focus on the concentric element um, of, of any sort of exercise is important. I think a lot of sort of power-based exercises are important for them. That's that's not to say, obviously, you know, strength, you know, they obviously need a, a good level of, of strength as a foundation and, and as a base. But I think we were focused on a lot of sort of power-based exercise moving in multi-directional planes. So, you know, we'd have um, bungee ropes to do lateral shuffles um, you know, hurdles, ply jumps, different things like that. I think a lot of their work is based around sort of power, power development. And a lot of it's single leg as well, you know, based on how they, how they're jumping and things like that. And that's where I've kind of worked a lot with the goalkeeping coach and say, what, what's the technique you want them to, you know what you want to see from them when they're jumping you know because some goalkeeping coaches like to see you know different things and things like that so you know I think that's important to sort of have the two marry up because there's no point in me you know being in the gym with the guys and saying right I want you to jump this way I want you to you know land in a certain way and then you go out on the pitch and it's you know he's asking to do it in a completely different way or a slightly different way whatever it may be um but yeah, I think power development is absolutely crucial for them and, and sort of microdosing that throughout the week because you know, if you do a 45, 50 minute power session, you know, your first set in the first couple of minutes is going to be different to your last set in the, the last couple of minutes. So sort of, 
you know, looking the, at the, the windows of opportunity throughout the week and sort of seeing where it can fit in. The one area that I was thinking about when you're talking then, which is, I'm not necessarily expecting an answer to this, but is you don't really hear about how different keepers move, do you? Like in terms of like there's different techniques is going to yeah. be because and it's a position to be honest, with different techniques. Yeah, 100%. And that's something that, you know, I wouldn't, I've never played goal. I've, I've never had much interest in, in, in goalkeepers as a whole because I think you can sometimes, I, I just think sometimes they can be forgotten about. Yeah. You know, but I think it's like their movement patterns or movement style, it's, it's a lot different to the outfielders. And I think it's, it's really an area that, you know, this season, especially, I've, I've studied a lot, you know, in terms of looking at right, how they actually move and, you know, how I can sort of, help you know embed stuff into their gym programs sort of you know help help improve their um yeah their power on the pitch and, and sort of I think the lateral movements is, is so so crucial you know how they can get from A to B in, in the in the short space of time and um that's something that footballers don't tend to like laterally do do as often um you know and and definitely the, their overhead work as well like being able to to stabilize in the, in the in the extended position and have that sort of you know, strength, strength levels to um, to sort of lock out in that position, I think is crucial as well. Yeah, no, definitely. And that, I suppose the other thing with it, which we also get across other positions, is different shapes and sizes of players, isn't it? Like you 100%. see some absolute monsters. For, for sure, yeah. And that's that's often the case. Like you see goalkeepers, oh God, they, they can barely fit in the door. They're absolutely mass, massive, you know. But like then, you know, even within that, you're kind of saying, right, goalkeepers, you know, similar sort of movement qualities. But then, you're dealing with player A and B that are two different yeah. different people, you know. So player A might need a little bit more something else than player B might. But you know, that's 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 why we love it. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. Right, the other thing I wanted to cover was um, around injuries. And yeah. Hopefully, something that you don't have too much experience in, but no. at the same time, you've got to upskill. So, yeah. long-term injuries specifically. So, dealing with players that are going to be away, at, somewhat away from the team, which is maybe an area of debate. Yeah. But um, away, certainly away from the pitch for a period. How you go about that and the sort of role you feel you take with a player in that position as well? Yeah, I think it's, you know, as you said, it's never a nice one. You know, you have a player with a long-term injury and they're down, you know, the club's down, you're potentially losing a really good player for a long period of time. It's, it's never a nice time. But I think when you strip it back and when the sort of trauma of it sort of ease and, and calms down, I think, you know, looking at, it as a window of opportunity to sort of say, right, can we rebuild this player, this athlete, you know, in a more stronger, robust, more basically better athlete, you know, and and sort of sort of how can we remould them throughout the rehabilitation process to to make them stronger and when they come back, you know, obviously mitigate the 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 chance of you know obtaining a future injury, I think is is absolutely crucial. Um, so you know whether that's focus on the running mechanics and um, change of directions, you know, work any muscle imbalances, you know, strength discrepancies, power discrepancies, whatever it may be, I think that's where like having the testing data that we, you know, collect throughout the year. And, and that's often something that's done to just tick a box. And, you know, we've done pre-season testings, tick the, the boxes tick, and then it's never seen again. You know, it's, it's stored away in the computer. It's never seen again. But I think that's where having baseline testing day and sort of known right physically where this athlete's strengths, where his weaknesses um, and how, how can we make him a more rounded sort of athlete upon his return? I also think as well that, you know, whatever player it is, whether it's, you know, a real a pacey winger or a strong centre half, they obviously have a super strength physically. You know, they have something that they're, 
they're really good at physically. So how can we, you know, if that's their strength, can we make it a super strength? Can we, you know, even further develop that so that they're coming back, you know, even quicker, even stronger, whatever it may be. And probably the, the first step in the, the process, I think, is, is having that conversation with the player and saying, right, we're in this situation now. You know, no one wants to be here. You know, you, no one wants you to be out for, for so long, whatever injury it might be. But like, right, with this window of time and, you know, you, you do get a lot of time with, with injured players, you know, because you're, you're there one to one with them, doing the rehab process, doing the pitch sessions. And um, you have a lot of coaching time with them. You know, and, and obviously the different stages of rehab, early to mid, looks different to mid to late. And, you know, the, the, the later we get in the, in the in the rehab stage, we can make it more position specific and, and related to what actually they want to work on in, in areas of their game technically and, and things like that. But I just think seeing it as an opportunity to, to develop and that can often be really, really hard. You know, you know, no one wants to hear sort of someone being jolly and, and upbeat when, when you've just heard bad news. But I think, you know, and that's where, like I've seen young lads working in the, when, when last season, previous season working in the academy, whereas they, they get an injury and it's a setback. And it's, it's an awful time, you know, that they're only kind of, you know, trying to start develop their career. And next thing, they have a huge setback. And, you know, it's, it's the worst thing in the world, you know, they're doing something every day, playing football on the pitch, and next thing it's gone. You know, it's, it's that they're not able to do it. So sometimes I think having an early and again, touch wood, like you know, not many people you know can get injured, but like it's it's one of those where I think if you experience an injury early on in your career, it makes you makes you appreciate the the sort of work that goes on around the training pitch. You know, your your the importance of your pre-activation, your recovery work, your sleep, hydration, nutrition. I just think, you know, it, it makes you realise that there's right, there's so much to this than just going out on the pitch and, and playing football for, you know, yeah. 80, 90 minutes. And having that, you know, in, in a way, I've, I've seen players come back and they've, they're more mature now. They, they take ownership of their, their what their own individual needs are because ultimately, you know, you're looking after individuals within the team and, you know, each individual player has individual needs and you know, they would all have sort of bespoke injury prevention programs and, and, and activation programs, but they're not in an environment where it's a one-to-one sort of coach to player, you know, um, coach player ratio. So often, you know, you, you might get around to everyone within the day in terms of, you know, checking in with players, overseeing players, how they're getting on with their, their activation or mobility work, whatever it may be. So, but, but yeah, I think going back, you know, it's, it's never, it's never a nice time with, with long-term injuries. I think the, the mental side to it is, is absolutely key. You know, last season I was really fortunate enough to work with um, psychologists at Portsmouth. Jack explained was absolutely brilliant with the guys and with a couple of, of lads out injured. And I actually, I worked with him a lot because I kind of felt that, right, if I'm going to be seeing these players every day, I need to make sure that my, my, the language that I, I use with these players and what I say and, you know, my body language, everything, it needs to be spot on because it only takes one or two conversations to sort of kill the progress that they've made and sort of yeah. kill their confidence. And, you know, it, it, it's it's one of those where, like, I think as as performance staff, we see them at their, their lowest. You know, we the coaches don't tend to see them when they're at that very low point. And mm. it's, I think that's a real skill is, is how do we sort of pick them up from there and build their confidence. And I, I think the... the psychology sort of things is going to become you know really really um popular in years to come you know in, in the next couple of years anyway um I, I just think it's really important because that can often be the difference between definitely teams winning and losing you you know games and things like that but i think 
on the injury side of things, just having that confidence when you're on ability, having that mental strength, you know, resilience to keep going and, and actually come back stronger. You know, especially you've seen players like that, that suffer re-injuries, you know, God, I, cu- I couldn't think of anything worse in the world than just going back, feeling like you're going back to square one, but then sort of saying, right, well, you know, it's, it's a bump in the road. You know, we, we accept that, right. How can we, you know, put everything aside and just move forward, you know, keep um, controlling the controllables and, and sort of working uh, towards getting back, you know, but I, I think, and then, you know, you look at sort of the, the back end of, of the rehab stage when, you know, players get back on the grass and that's where I think it, it becomes a little bit more real. You know, mm-hmm. that's when the sort of players can see the light at the end of the tunnel. That's when the coaches can see the players coming back. I, I think it's always hard when the players and the coaches and the manager are sort of distance in the sense that you have the player in the gym every single day, the managers on the pitch, coach on the pitch. And, you know, they might go by where the manager doesn't actually see the, more importantly, the player doesn't see the manager or the coaches. Yeah. You know, and ultimately they're the people that, that of the most importance because they pick the team. They they sort of, you know, are, are responsible for their development on the pitch. And I think when when you get back on the pitch in the sort of re the the um, late rehab stage, I think it's you know it's it's a lot easier because the coaches are around the place. You know, the the players sort of building confidence because you're working on stuff that uh, they kind of feel, God, this is actually position specific. You know, this is what I want to do. I'm a fullback. I want to overlap, but they don't really realize, right. I'm actually looking at high speed running here, you know, but they're thinking, you know, at the cross in the box. And, you know, I think that's for for me, that's, that's an enjoyable stage because you can kind of see right the everything coming together. Um, But it's, it's, you know, it's obviously important then to not rush, rush the player too quick. And he's keen and eager to get back when you can see all his mates playing, playing there to the side of him but yeah I think you know having that realism to the final stage is, is key as well you know so you can kind of replicate the demands of what the next step is which is going back into a training environment so be that you know intensity levels meterage per minute can we match that and, and it, again it's hard when you're one-to-one with a player you know you're trying to create drills that um that sort of replicate the demands of, of the game but you know, can we tick off the the training load that he's previously hit, the maximum speed that he's previously hit? You know, all these sort of um, markers. Can we make sure he's he's coming back in a, a really good state at the end? Yeah, brilliant. No, it's fascinating. I think that's, that psychology side and the language is so so important, especially in the early stages, isn't it? Because that's where you might have a good relationship with the player, but yeah. if you're not talking their language and that you're getting them in a very vulnerable emotional position aren't you especially with long longer term injuries it's, it's you're treading on thin ice aren't you and you need to be very sure. careful at that point yeah definitely for sure for sure and then the other thing that you mentioned Paul was about sort of players learning from getting the injuries and I suppose mm. that's human nature in a way isn't it that we can yeah. like the child in us isn't it you get told <laughs> by, don't touch that don't touch that don't touch that you touch it and it's hard and then you it's... learn yeah um, and I suppose it's the same thing in a way isn't it like you need to do your, you need to do your prehab because X, Y, and Z. Yeah. And then a player gets an injury and then they then, then they that's when they learn. So there's a there's a balance to that, isn't there? Where mm. we have to educate, like you said. Yeah. But sometimes players have to unfortunately go through these scenarios that that's when they will learn. I, I remember I remember speaking to a coach before and you know, he was saying like same player just wouldn't look after his recovery, wouldn't look after his, you know, nutrition, anything around, and could sort of see that what does there's an injury waiting to happen here. Mm-hmm. Um, not that you want players to be injured, of course you don't. But like this was being flagged on, you know, wellness and things like that. That that we that we in a lot of teams will track, you know, regularly with uh, muscle soreness, fatigue, and things like that, sleep quality. And 
you know, player end up picking up an injury and um, um, a, a muscle strain. And it, it was only then afterwards that the kind of the coach sat down with the player and said, right, well, you know, right, picked up that muscle strain. Can we look back at now the last week or the last 10 days, 14 days, whatever it may be, have a look at sort of the patterns that, that emerged. You know, you, you weren't sleeping great. You weren't looking after your nutrition. You weren't looking after your recovery. You know, whether that's the reason, no one really knows, but mm. that's something that's definitely within your control that might have prevented that. You know, so I think sometimes it can be a real learning um, opportunity. You know, it's again, it's, it's not something that you want to experience with players for sure. But I, I think sort of using it and, and maximising the learning opportunity in it is, is important. Yeah, definitely. The other thing, mate, you mentioned before is about data. And coming from a maths background, I should, should be, <laughs> I imagine the these spreadsheets are unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> but just on that, um, utilising data, obviously something you, you've talked about, which is the really important side of it, isn't it? Yeah. How do you go about that? How do you go about prioritising certain elements of data and also not disregarding, but collecting things that you know need to be collected just in case? Hmm. Um, but this is our focus. Yeah, I think the, the live GPS data, I think, is, is crucial. And that's something we would monitor every day in, in training to see, you know, our players reaching the, the expectations or the demands of what the session should be. Um, do net players need to be maybe, you know, pushed a little bit more? They're not doing enough. Do they need to be pulled back a little bit? And I think that's for us to see as coaches and, and, and coaches only as such. You know, I think share we need i think we need to be careful with what sort of information we share with the players you know especially around training days um you know players are it's human nature to become obsessed with numbers you know objective data is, is you know everyone wants to sort of see what well, where am i in relation to him am i better am i worse they don't really care what the score is they want to just know where they are in, in the squad and i think being clever with that is is key like we've been lucky a poor fail to have a lot of um, investment in, in testing equipment. So we've got access to the Val testing equipment, the Force X, Force Frame, um, Norboard as well, which we'd use to sort of monitor fatigue as well as strength and um, strength and power. So we would monitor fatigue every match day plus two. Um, and the players would do um, a couple of sub-max efforts and then a maximum effort. And we would kind of see right relative to their sort of baseline scores, where are they are they, you know, way below, way above, or sort of in around in between. But also as well as that, I think creating sort of healthy competition within the squad is is key. So sort of having a, a leaderboard as such, even for example, jump heights, you know, that's player player A is is, is top of the squad in jump heights. And it just creates a little bit more buy-in, you know, saying, right, you're doing a gym session, you know that can, can actually help you know, impact your jump height when, you, when you're going to retest it. Um, and yeah, just being kind of clever with that sort of stuff. I, th I think with any sort of testing day, if you're collating it, you know, there's so, so much out there to, to test, you know, so many metrics and, and so many, uh, so many things to measure. But I think anything you do has to be done with 100% intent, unless it's obviously a sub-max, you know, endurance tests, aerobic tests, whatever it may be. But I think it has to be done with intent. Like I remember looking at so for with academies um the triple p requirements means that you have to test regularly throughout the season and you know it, it's something that i think testing is, is great but if it's not done right there's no point doing it because you know if players don't understand the test or the value in it if they're not given 100 percent in test it's not a true value you know it's not a true reading of, of where they are so i was kind of looking at this and saying right there's, there's no way that 
the quickest player on the team on a GPS vest is the, like the fifth quickest on a 30 meter sprint. So I'm kind of looking at that and saying, right, that's not, that's not right. And then, you know, you sort of adding competition and you, you look at kind of in a game, there's competition, there's, there's players racing against each other and, you know, certainly they're, they're going to sprint as quick as they possibly can. You know, then they come into an isolated environment, a 30 meter sprint is probably lashing rain. They don't have footballs at their feet. And they're sort of saying, yeah, I'm sprinting, but is it maximum? Who will now only, only the player? So mm. I think we need to be careful with some of the testing data and sort of be clever with what we we sort of, yeah, use, use as kind of real testing data. Because I, I think some of the, like the speed gates and all, they're absolutely brilliant for, for getting, you know, speed over five metres, 10 metres, 20 and so on. But are they real true values of, of maximum speed? Because, you know, I haven't seen any play, players clock higher um, top end speeds, maximum velocity on a speed gate as opposed to what I mean by that, by using, say, wearing a GPS vest and doing a maximum effort on speed gates as opposed to what I often do would say be a 1v1 race, you know, at the end yeah. of a warm-up, players, you know, right, you're going off my uh, my movement. So as soon as I go, we're racing against each other. But as soon as that competitive element is there, you know, straight away, 100% intent. Mm. So, you know, I, I think we just need to be careful what sort of data we, we use and how we use the data from, from some of the tests. And- yeah, 100%. I used to say when I worked in academy football that, You'd be doing a sprint test and you'd have a kid waving to the dad halfway down the, yeah. halfway down the track. And you're like, you're like how, no, you're not supposed how to can I use this? <laughs> <laughs> I know, but that's, and then, you know, and then you kind of spend so much time going through the day. I, I, I think, you know, whatever about actually your test, but then you spend so much time analyzing the data, you know, going through it all, you know. Yeah. You're kind of like, right, you get to, you give the data to the coaches, then in the end you kind of say, right, well, this is the data for your squad, but I'm not 100% sure if it's 100% accurate. And you're kind of like, well, <laughs> You know, was it was it worthwhile? You, you don't know, but I, I think it's really important to have you know objective objective data. I, I, you know, if we look at say medical procedures, signing players, I think it's really important to get a well-rounded picture of that individual before you make obviously decisions on players whether you sign them or not. But also to have as as baseline data because yeah. like that, you, you don't know when a player can get injured. And the last thing you want to be doing, I think, is what crap players injured were scrambling through data to try, sort of see where strength levels at and you the last measure you, you took is is a year ago or, or six months you know and it's, it's not real then so i think having sort of something that can be repeated regularly um and, and that's where i think the valve system has come in really really useful with us yeah brilliant mate that was class paul let's move on to our quick fire questions now so the first one being who have been some of the biggest influences on your career so far yeah, so obviously family, family and close friends um, will, will be will be number one. But I think probably professionally out, out there outside of that, um, some of the coaches I've worked with, and far too many to, to name them all, but like coaches I've worked with in Ireland, the UK, at the different clubs, you know, I've really learned something off, off each of them. And I think that's, you know, definitely an advantage to experience in different environments is you learn off people without even realising that you pick up different things, you pick up good practice and also you pick up sort of not so good practice. You kind of say, right, I'm, I might have done it in this way. I might have tweaked it a, a, a certain way or whatever. But yeah, definitely the coaches I've worked with, probably two coaches at the moment that I kind of look up to and say, God, you know, I really admire their, their leadership style. It would be Jim Gavin and Jim McGuinness. Jim Gavin, obviously really successful with uh, with Dublin, 
and Jim McGuinness. I, I really admire Jim McGuinness the way he's just, you know, thrown himself into different environments, football, um, Gaelic football, you know, just different sports and different environments and how he can sort of transfer his skills into different environments. He spoke actually on um, on a recent block of my A licence and, you know, I'm not great with sitting sitting during talks, like, you know, I kind of get bored fairly easily. <laughs> but literally, you, you couldn't hear a pin drop. You know, he yeah. it was a, it was a captivating talk. You know, he, he kind of, everyone's interest, you know, no one, no one kind of moved for the duration of the talk. And then we, what really got me was how he, how he inspires people. You know, everyone came out of the room feeling really inspired and we were just listening to how he inspires people. But I think, you know, that sort of learning off people that, you know, have worked in in really successful elite environments, and and how they sort of went about it, you know, was 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 amazing to sort of hear firsthand. You know, and how he how he done it, and and the level of detail as well. That you know, I kind of think that's the difference between sort of sub elite and elite level is is the detail, the level of detail, and the planning and the prep. And Jesus, the, the, the amount of detail he went into was was absolutely amazing. You know, so they'd be definitely the the two for me. Brilliant. What would you say your biggest strength is as a practitioner? Oh, I don't like talking about myself. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I include this one. I know, yeah. Um, I'd, you'd probably, I'd, I'd probably say my interpersonal skills. I'd like to say that I'm a sort of bubbly person. You know, I, I like to kind of be a laugh around the place, you know, have a, have a joke, have a laugh and sort of just be, yeah, be a good person to be around. Well, I'll try most of the time. But... <laughs> Yeah, you'd probably have to ask the lads I work with, and they'd probably say I'm annoying. They'd definitely, <laughs> definitely say all the food as well. So, hey, yeah. that's a trait that's going to be carried across a few a few coaches, I think. Isn't it? Yeah, definitely, hundred <laughs> percent. Paul, going back a few years now, when maybe even to sort of going through the, the teaching qualification and all the rest of it, what would be your top bit of advice, career advice for yourself? Yeah, for, first and foremost. Uh, leave the teaching degree and go into sports science (laughs) I think you know I I look back now and say right you know I'm definitely at a disadvantage to other people because you know I think scientific knowledge a lot of people have have a greater bank of of knowledge and I've had that chance to obtain a lot more knowledge than me but I think I look back now and say I'm actually glad that I've done my teaching qualification because I think I developed skills that are are a lot tougher to develop you know you, you can't learn them in a textbook whereas I think nowadays there's so much research online that I think you know you only have to go on to Google Scholar or different Twitter pages or you know there's so much research out there and you can really just be a, a student of, of the internet really nowadays so uh, I'm, I'm actually I'm, I'm glad I did do my teaching qualification and something you know I never know I might go back to in the future but I think probably aside from that just ask more questions you know I think probably earlier on in my career I was a little bit hesitant to sort of you know kind of be found out or sort of you know say something that people might say god how do you not know the answer to this but you know I'm I'm kind of the polar opposite now where I ask so many questions and you know I'd always encourage people to ask me questions because I think if I can't explain it well enough I ultimately don't know it well enough so you know, it, I think having that environment, I and mean, it's tough that like you don't want someone that's sort of saying why, why, why all the time because it's finding the balance and, and the sort of right way to say it. But I do think it is a really sort of good thing to be in an environment where, you know, things are questioned because ultimately if you have two people with two ideas, you know, and, and question each other, 
you know, the, the cream rises to the top, the, the sort of, you know, and, and ultimately that's, that can be a combination of right combining ideas actually coming to a, a, another conclusion that, that neither person kind of, you know, initially thought of. So I think just having that environment that, um, yeah, constructive environment is, is key. Yeah, I think that's a great one. And for young coaches as well, I think it's important to understand that if you ask a question and you don't get a response or you get like a, quite a cold response, it's probably more about the other person than it is yourself, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, for sure, for sure. And, and like even, you know, I, like I always say to say interns and stuff like that, it's, you know, you're going to send loads of loads of emails and text messages and stuff like that and people won't get back to you. And, you know, you know, it's it's really tough and, you know, that's what it's it's hard not to take it personally when when it's you at the time, but like to kind of you know see what well I'm actually doing the right thing in terms of reaching out to people trying to gain experience so to not sort of be set back or put down by by, by people not getting back because ultimately if they're not really interested not interested to reply that's not the right environment for you to be in so yeah. you know if you do get someone that does you know is interested is reply you know yeah go and go and see the environment go and see what sort of person you have because they're obviously interested in, in developing you. Yeah, brilliant. Made the final one. What's your approach to CPD? Continued learning. Like, how'd you go about that? Yeah, so currently at the moment, um, I'm doing my A license. So it's something that was kind of big on, obviously, from when I started coaching, was to keep keep continuing on with my coaching badges. I think it's it's important now for for SNC coaches, performance staff, to be able to actually understand what the manager wants, but then actually to be able to to replicate that in, in warm-ups, conditioning drills, things like that. So that's something I'm, I'm hopeful to complete soon. Um, and then just for me at the moment, research around sort of early stage rehab, medical, um, medical information, things like that, because that's something that I, I don't really have a background in and, and I want to sort of upskill myself on because ultimately I'm working really, really closely with the physios um, every single day and I need to understand ultimately what what they want and what they're talking about and how we can sort of work together to, um, yeah, to, to, to bring about, you know, change and, and stuff in the players. So that would be definitely one for me. I think it's probably like informal chats as well with, with coaches and, you know, on the training pitch, away from the training pitch, just like chatting informally. Um, you know, I think that's, that's absolutely so valuable, you know, with mm. just chatting to people, you know, even coaches have been with previous clubs, you know, having, the, we all have similar problems regarding say GPS, whatever, certain things with injuries, you know, just having that sort of relationship to be able to pick up the phone and, you know, not give too much away, but sort of just, you know, have a conversation. Um, and then I, I kind of think social media nowadays is, yeah, it's just flooded with information. Like I think obviously podcasts like like this one, you know, absolutely brilliant for just gaining information. And, you know, on Twitter, Instagram, so many pages now that, you know, you just have to go onto a certain app and you just see lots of exercises, variations of, of doing things. So I, I'd kind of try and follow a lot of them sort of pages. So, you know, when I'm going on Instagram, I don't feel too guilty for, for spending an hour on it. <laughs> <laughs> May, brilliant. You mentioned social media there. If people have got questions or they want to reach out in general, where would you direct them? Yeah, so probably Twitter is is the best place. I'm pretty sure it's just Paul McGrath Twitter on, on Twitter. So just my name. Brilliant. Awesome, mate. I really appreciate you coming on. That's been class catching up. And um, yeah, really excited for you in the role because I know... It's relatively new still at the moment. I know you've got um, a long time ahead of you at the club as well. So, yeah, all the best for this season, mate. Perfect. Cheers, man. Thanks for having me on. 
Some absolute brilliant stuff there from Paul. I'm sure you'll agree. Loads of great information from him. And it was great to have him on the podcast. So big thanks to him for giving up his time and coming on. Um, takeaways on this one for me. I think the the initial part of his career in teaching, I know he sort of downplayed it a little bit in the second part of the podcast, but I think there's massive transfers in terms of some of the skills that you'll learn. So if anyone has had similar journeys, it'll, it'll be good to hear from you as well. Because I think... When you speak to a lot of people that have either started in teaching and gone into more sports science or coaching, um, or even the other way around, you see a lot that start in the coaching world and then end up in teaching. There's a lot of crossovers, so it's really interesting to delve into those and see um, what skills work in both situations. Also, um, the fact of educating the players, that's something that we talk about time and time again, really important fact that the players have to be educated. We have to find different ways of educating them as well. We He also spoke about the windows of opportunity and that rehab is a big opportunity to work with players and develop different areas as well. Um, if there's an injury happened, obviously there's a lot of psychological challenges that are going on in that time, but it's also a big window of opportunity as well. And then the fact we have to use our data wisely this is, again, something that we talk about a lot, but just really question whether that is something that you're doing because I think there'll still be data that we, we will collect um, that might be used in the future, but there's definitely time that probably can be saved and energy that can be focused elsewhere as well if we start to really analyze and critique our approach. Um, so, yeah, it's just, just something to have a little think about, but some great stuff there from Paul. Really appreciate him coming on. He's on Twitter, just his name. So Paul McGrath on Twitter underscore. So go and connect with him on there. And any retweets of the podcast, please tag Paul in as well. And it's always great to hear what you took away from the episode as well. Also, make sure you support the show by going checking out our sponsors, Rezzel. They're doing some great work. I actually listened to a podcast the other day with Mark Zuckerberg on Joe Rogan's podcast, and he was talking about the world of VR and where it is going and all the things that they're working on. And obviously, Rezzel are doing some amazing work that links in with sports science and football in, in particular. So go and check out their work. You can search Rezzel, R-E-Z-Z-I-L, over on social media. Doing some great work in recreating some of the goals in the Premier League um, at, through the VR system. So go and check them out and keep an eye on all the brilliant work that they've got coming up as well. Go and search Rezzle on social media. Just before you go, please head over to iTunes, leave us a review. We've not had any new reviews on there for a while, so it'd be great to start ramping the reviews up again. And if you're listening on Spotify, you just click the um, review and click the five stars. You don't even need to leave a written review on there, but it'd be great to get that done as well if possible. Thanks again for your support. and I will speak to you again next week in episode 206.